Get your Bibles and open to John chapter 11. We're going to look today specifically at verses 45 through 57. Uh, your, no- your notes at the top uh, there, John 9. No, we're in John 11. So there's a mistake there. So John 11, 45 through 57 will be our focus this morning. I don't know about you, but I feel like we've had dessert uh, before dinner. Uh, it has been a rich and beautiful morning already. And, uh, and I, feel, I feel full already just being here, singing with you, hearing God's word proclaimed through this beautiful music and the words we've been rehearsing, the reading of scripture, uh, the receiving of new members to our congregation, and uh, God is good. God is good, and um, uh, I've said this before probably, but oh, oh me of little faith, uh, I can remember uh, talking with the elders when the COVID came of we might be, need to be ready for layoffs because, you know, uh, the church might just shrink and go away and I don't know, you know, and look at, look at what God has done. So, so we just praise God for his, his goodness, right? We praise God for his goodness. When you're a Christian, if it's good, it's good, and if it's bad, it's good. Okay, that's rich, deep theology. You can talk, about, talk with me later and I'll explain that to you. But if it's good, it's good, and if it's bad, it's good when we're believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yes, thank you. Amen. All right, here we go. John eleven forty five through 57. Uh, this is the Word of God. Uh, we believe it, and we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live it. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. It's after Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who had scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Let's pray. Father, as I have said already to this congregation, it is a great day. Lord, every day that we're able to gather together and worship your holy name is a great day. Lord, every day is a good day because you are the Father of the heavenly lights. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so we're thankful even now as we gather together today, this day that you have set aside that we refer to as the Lord's Day, that we gather to sing your praises, to proclaim your goodness in boldness and in clarity to say that we love Jesus and we belong to you, O God. Father, embolden your people 
Strengthen this congregation specifically today. Open our ears that we may hear the truth of your gospel again. And we pray even now that there are those in this congregation, if they do not yet believe in you, if they have not yet trusted in you, Lord God, that you would be kind to them and grant them repentance so they may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him they may have life in his name. We pray this through his name. Amen. Mary and Martha, in the previous weeks, have watched their brother Lazarus become ill and finally die. In their little village of Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem, the neighbors watched as well. Many probably came and consoled the sisters, like many do at funerals or when someone is ill. They possibly brought food. They comforted the sisters as best they could. And then someone had an idea. I know what we should do. We should, we should call Jesus. Someone needs to send word to Jesus. Yes, Jesus will come. And Jesus will heal our brother. Jesus will heal Lazarus. And everything will be okay because Jesus is our friend. We know him. We've seen what he can do. Jesus will come. They sent word. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited until Lazarus finally died. They took their brother and they laid his body in their tomb. Then the mourners came for the funeral. And then four days later, Jesus arrived. Listen to what John tells us. We're backing up to verse 20 of John chapter 11. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, and saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Come, Lord, see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and lifted, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Today I've entitled this sermon, Reactions to a Resurrection. And I doubt that there's anyone here in this congregation who's been at a resurrection. Many of us have been in hospitals. Many of us have been beside the bedside of, of ailing friends or family. There have been times as a pastor that I've been called to go to a hospital. I recall one time a few years ago when a, a brother called me and said he wanted me to come and, and meet with his, his father who was quite old and was failing in health to come and share the gospel with that, that brother's dad. And so I did and I went and I read some scriptures to him and we talked to him and I could see as I looked upon this man in the hospital room that the, the power of death was upon him. His color was going and he was very tired. He was very, very weak. And I remember thinking to myself that, that, that this is it. And my brother who was there with me, my, my, my friend from the church, was, was feeling like this, this was it. And so we, we prayed for him, we shared the gospel with him, we, we sang a song together, and, and I left thinking that was it. And the friend called me in a, like the next day and said, Dad is up and walking around. <laughs> I was like, what? And he said himself, he says, I thought that was it. We thought, we thought he was going that night. But he rallied. And I learned as a pastor to, to never count out you know, people at, at that last moment. You never know when, when God is going to take someone or maybe they're going to be able to stick around for a little bit longer. And he did, and he did pass some months later. I've seen people rally. I've seen people recover. I've never seen someone resurrected. Can you imagine being at that tomb and hearing Jesus Christ say, Lazarus, come out. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. I mean, I don't, well, you know, so you, you know, just come on out. I mean, what, I don't, what is going through the minds of people? I think some are probably filled with faith, probably. The sisters might be believing, believing beyond belief that, I, that this is going to work. Something's going to happen. Others may be hanging their heads in embarrassment, thinking this is just not right. You shouldn't be doing this. You're just adding insult to injury. First of all, you didn't come when we called. Then you came four days late, and now you come to the tomb and you do this? What in the world are you doing? And so there's different reactions. We see three things here, three points to my sermon today. The people's reaction, the plot of the priests and the Pharisees, and finally the prophecy of Caiaphas. So let's get started. Number one, we see the people's reaction. The people's reaction. 
Look at verse 45. Many of, the, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. When faced with the resurrection of Lazarus, we see here two reactions from the people. There's belief and there's unbelief. Belief and unbelief. John told us that this would be the case as people were exposed to the light of the world. Remember in his prologue when he said this in John 1, 9-13, the true light, Jesus Christ, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Two reactions. Belief or unbelief. Two reactions. Repentance or rejection. Now, why do I say repentance? What do they have to repent of? The first thing, the first grand, great sin that all people repent of is the sin of unbelief. That's the repentance that must come when you change your mind about Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis talks about this, and we've, we've, I don't know how many times, if we start a little, a little tally marks of how many times we've used this illustration, but we're going to use it again today because it's good, and we need it. C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford medieval literature scholar, popular writer, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other apologetic works, and former atheist, gave this talk on the BBC during World War II. They say that there were two, uh, the two most recognized voices on the BBC at that time were Winston Churchill and secondly, uh, C.S. Lewis. He said this when referring to what people think about Christ. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Later, Lewis says this. He says, Now it seems obvious to me that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Belief or unbelief? Repentance or rejection? 
Jesus is a polarizing figure. Jesus is a polarizing figure. He said himself that he came to bring not peace, but a sword. And so there comes a point in our lives when I understand the feeling of prayers and, and hopes that we often are, are given, especially at a time in our nation like this, when there's a great, a great desire sometimes for unity, unity, unity. But the unity that we pray for as believers is the unity of those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And brothers and sisters, those of you who are in Christ, we've made our decision, haven't we? But friend, today, if you are here and you have yet to put your hope and trust, there's a point at which you must make a decision. Belief or unbelief. Rejection or acceptance. Repentance. We pray today that you will put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us to number two, the plot of the priests and Pharisees. So it says that some people believe. Many of the Jews did believe, and that's exactly what John told us. Many would believe. Those who would come to him, some wouldn't. But, they, but here, John continues on and says what happens to those who didn't believe. They, they run, and, and like uh, most of you know, I'm an elementary school teacher. And, and, and the bane of my existence of is this, and some parents know this as well. You know where I'm going with this. No, I can see probably. The tattletale, <laughs> the, the good-meaning child who comes and says, Mr. Brian, Mr. Brian, he touched me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, stop touching him, okay, just, you know. Did he, is, are, you know and so and, and after being a te- teacher for many years, you, you get to the point where you're saying, look, are you bleeding, okay? <laughs> are you bleeding, you know? Did he knock you out? Have you, you know, what, you know, you know, stop it, you know, just stop it. Some of the people see the resurrection, and instead of falling at the tomb and worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior, they tattle. They run to the Pharisees, Jesus' main religious opponents, and they go and they say, look at what he's doing. He's not, now he's not just you know, healing blind people or, or, or creating food out of nothing. He's raising people from the dead. Verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Notice that they don't say, this isn't actually happening. There's a way of believing the miracles and yet rejecting the Messiah. There's a way of saying, yes, he's a good man and he did miracles and wonderful things, but still not being saved. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Leon Moore says this, The Pharisees were a religious party. They spent a lot of time studying Scripture and were known for their public display of piety. They were certainly not backward in letting people know that they were the religious experts that they put into practice what they had learned from the Bible. They were sure that they had the right understanding of Scripture and rejected anyone who saw things differently, and that brought them into conflict with Jesus. For he refused to accept their superficial understanding of the sacred text. 
So the Pharisees were found constantly in opposition to Jesus. You see, the Pharisees were not a political party. And so being only religious, they really had no political authority. For that, they had to go to the high priest. And the high priests were often at that time put into power by the Romans. There was an uneasy alliance, if we could call it that, between the Romans and the nation of Israel and the priestly system at that time. So that the high priest had real power, the Pharisees would have to come to the high priest and then pull him in. And so, of course, they have this meeting, the meeting of the Sanhedrin, the meeting of this political council, religious slash political council. As they ruled over the Jews, as I said, there was an uneasy alliance here. So what do they say? Verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. The place here that they refer to is possibly the temple. It could be the, the, the area where they're living, but... But, but the possibility is definitely that they're talking about the temple, their, their place of worship, and also their nation as well. What are they saying? They're saying simply this, we have too much to lose. They see the trajectory of Jesus Christ going about the, the countryside, healing people, teaching people, calling people to himself, and more and more people are believing in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Christ, believing that he is the Messiah. And they simply say, we have too much to lose. If more and more people believe in Jesus, then the Roman Empire, which really rules the Jew Jewish nation, will come crashing down on the little bit of freedom and, and autonomy that Israel has and destroy the temple and the nation. Why? Because there's a growing sense that Jesus could be the long-awaited king of Israel. And if the number of people swell, there could be a Zionist frenzy, one commentator writes, that claims sovereignty for the state of Israel over against Rome and Rome will crush it. That's what the Pharisees and the chief priests say to the council. So Jesus is now not just a minor blasphemer who needs to be stoned, but he is a threat to the existence of the very nation of Israel itself. That's how they see it. The one who came to save is feared as a destroyer. Do you see the, the blindness there? Do you see where they're their eyes are fixed upon the nation and the temple when the one who is the living temple, the one who is the embodiment of the nation, is there coming to, to save them, to, to be their Messiah. Blinded by their, their misguided religion of the Pharisees and the rulers of that time, they can't see that the Messiah that they're waiting for has just raised a man from the dead. Later they begin to... This is the... the I don't know what we call this. <laughs> Later they plot to kill Lazarus. Destroy the evidence, which happens to be a walking around man, Lazarus. Blinded by their religion, they reject the resurrection of Lazarus. And more tragic than that, they reject the one who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus earlier had already reprimanded them for their blindness after he healed the man born blind. In John 9.39, he has a running with them. And he says this, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Yes, they were blind, spiritually blind. They couldn't see the glory of Christ. That's where, as Christians on some level, we're a, we're a, a strange people. We're not about uh, trying to help your self-esteem necessarily and, and, and make everything all right and everything's good and we can teach you how to raise your kids and make your dog come sit and stay and have a great house and a better car, all those things. That's not what we're about. We're about, first and foremost, seeing our own sin, seeing our own wretchedness. I remember when I was witnessing to a young woman when I worked in Watts, and the teacher said to me, this friend of mine said, said, I think, you know, Christianity is just a crutch. And what do you think I said? You're right. (laughs) Now you understand. It is a crutch because my legs are broken. I can't walk on my own. I can't achieve salvation by myself. You now understand Christianity. Jesus came for those who are sick. He came for those who are blind. He came for those who are dead. The Pharisees here continue in their blindness. So Jesus had reprimanded them. Also, Paul wrote about this blindness as well in 2 Corinthians 3, 12-18. Here's what Paul wrote. He says, Since we have such a hope, Speaking of Christians, speaking of those of us who have put our hope in Messiah, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. How is the veil lifted? And I would add to this, not just for a Jew to come to Christ, but for a Gentile to come to Christ. How is our blindness taken away through Jesus Christ? Only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, that's us, brothers and sisters, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Praise God, friend. Praise God, brothers and sisters, that our veils have been lifted, that we have seen, that our blindness has been taken away, and we can see the glory of Christ. We see the glory of the Lord revealed in His His Son, Jesus Christ. And let me just add here, as we continue to to be around brothers and sisters, or or scratch that, friends who are yet to be brothers and sisters, when you're rubbing shoulders and elbows in the workplace with Gentiles and with Jews specifically. How are they going to come to Christ? Through the preaching of the gospel. Simply. So continue to pray. Pray for, pray for our friends. Pray for our Jewish friends. Pray for, pray for Dennis Prager. 
Those of you who like conservative talk radio, pray for Michael Medved. Pray for Mike Levin. Pray for these friends who need to see Christ, who need to come to their Messiah. Pray that God would lift their veils through the power of Christ. This brings us to number three, the prophecy of Caiaphas. But one of them in the council, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. When we, did our, we do our little sermon workshop each week, the elders do. I don't know if you know this. Most of you probably do. But we meet. The guy who's preaching in two weeks will we'll read his passage to the other elders, and we will kind of workshop this. We, we read it. We, we pray about it. We talk to each other. We, we see things that are there. And as I read my passage, when Caiaphas says, you know nothing at all, Pastor Jeff cracked up. <laughs> he couldn't help himself. He's like, no, no, you know nothing at all. <laughs> Right, he says, right? You know nothing at all, Caiaphas says, putting them in their place, right? Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In other words, he rebukes them and says this. This is what he's saying. Here's the solution. Kill him. Here's the solution. Kill him. Better that one die so that the nation won't. We kill him so the Romans won't kill us. Substitute Jesus for us. And then here's what's interesting. John adds his comment of an explanation of what is happening. Verse 51, John says, He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Notice what John is saying. Yes, Caiaphas speaks of his own accord on one level, but on another level, not of his own accord. John sees that this is actually a prophecy of God. The man speaks better than he knows. He says one thing, but the deep reality is there. Yes, it is better that one man die for the nation. Yes, It is better that one man die for the children of God. This speaks to the profound doctrine of substitution. The profound doctrine of substitution. Again, as I mentioned, I'm a a school teacher, and and sometimes I actually get sick and have to stay home. Last week we had a number of uh, people who were out because, guess what, Thursday was Veterans Day and then they have Friday. (laughs) We got a big letter from from the district, an official letter. Do not take Friday off. (laughs) Please don't stay home. We need you here. Think about lots of little elementary school children running amok. So what happens when his teacher stays home? He has a substitute, a person who comes and stands in my place with the rights and responsibilities of me as a teacher. He stands there in my place. He's my substitute. He's Mr. Brian, even though Mr. Brian is not there. How much more? You and me, a sinner. You and me, people who have gone against God's law, who have transgressed God's law, who have sinned in so many ways. We deserve death. We deserve the beating. We deserve the nails. 
We deserve to hang upon the cross, but instead there was a substitute who hung there in your place. A substitute that hung there in my place. That's what the doctrine of substitution says. And that's what, even though Caiaphas didn't realize it, that's what he's prophesying. Jesus would die for the nation of Israel to redeem them for himself, but not just for Israel, for all of God's children. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 2, 11 through 21. Listen, therefore, speaking to Gentiles, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Who, who has He made one? The Jew and the Gentile, making us one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came, and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You see what's happening through Christ's grand and beautiful substitution upon the cross. He has made peace between the Jew and the Gentile. He's made into one new man, the Jew and the Gentile, to come to Christ as his, as their Messiah, as our Messiah. Revelations 5, 9 through 10 also speaks of this. In the future, and they sang in heaven a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll. We often sing this song, right? Is he worthy? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Amen and amen. So what happens? Moving on and wrapping up here. Verse 53. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. From that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. And then Jesus understands the threat, but there's a purpose in what comes next, I believe, in these next few passages, next few scriptures. Jesus knows that he is in charge. He is the one, and his Father is the one, who will determine the time and the place of his death. And so in verse 54, it tells us that Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. 
He withdraws and he, he knows that his time is coming. But, but Jesus himself told us, right? Told his disciples that he laid his down. He, he would lay his life down. No one would take it from him. Verse 55, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. I find it interesting as John wraps up that section that the people go to the Passover and prepare to purify themselves. And they wonder if, if Jesus is going to come to the Passover. They're wondering and not understanding that they're talking about the Passover lamb. Will the Passover lamb, the reality that is, that is the substance of the shadow of all the lambs, will the Passover lamb come this year? Will he come to the Passover feast? Yes, he will. He will come. And they stand in the temple. That thing that Jesus also represents. Asking this question. Will Jesus come? Yes, He will. He will come. He will submit Himself to them, ultimately, on a human level, on a, on a spiritual level. He will submit Himself to the Father because... God has known and has proclaimed that it is better for one man to die for all of his people. So Jesus dies and he is resurrected. So the question I have as we wrap up for you today is this. Belief or unbelief? Repentance or rejection. Listen from John 20, verses 1 through 18, as we close. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth there, but he did not go in. Then Simon and Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he, saw and, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she, taught, and she saw two angels in white sitting, there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, 
They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to his disciples, I have seen the Lord. Two resurrections. One of Lazarus, a man who Jesus raised. And at that point, there are those who believe and those who who do not believe, those who accept and those who reject. And that one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, himself raised from the grave, came out of the tomb. What is your reaction to that resurrection? Are you like the Pharisees? Are you like the high priest? Are you afraid of losing something if you accept Jesus? What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of giving up? What are you afraid that the Romans will come and take away from you? Friend, everything that we get from Jesus is better than anything that could ever be taken away. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for your blessed son. We thank you for this blessed time to come to hear your word proclaimed, to sing your word to each other, to encourage each other to love and good deeds, to worship you. We believe that you are Father. We know that you are God. We believe in your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And we believe as well in your Holy Spirit. We worship you this morning, triune God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.